This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Craig Cabanis, the lead pastor, is the speaker for this message. My name is Craig. I'm one of the pastors here, so if we haven't met before, good morning, good to meet you, thanks for being here. Um, And we are concluding a study on Psalm 119, the longest chapter of the Bible, Uh, but we've only covered a few few sections of it. So the first Sunday, I did an overview of the whole uh, book, a whole chapter rather, and then uh, the next Sunday we did a study of one stanza, there's 22 stanzas in this psalm, that's 22 sections. Uh, last week we covered two sections together. Today we're going to do something even different. I'm only going to cover two verses, regardless of what that says up there. I decided to narrow it uh, to just two verses. And uh, in this series, if you're new, what we did was I kind of preached big picture messages um, about the scripture. This whole chapter is about the scripture. It's about the Bible. It's a, it's sort of a love poem to God for the Word of God. That's really what it is. It's a poem, and. Um, I've covered just the big picture, and you guys have done the heavy lifting. So this month, what we did was we uh, handed out a devotional. It's on the table in the back. If you'd like one, you can take one. Uh, And people went through a section at a time each day or regularly, several times a week, whatever, however you paste it, and read God's Word, these verses from this chapter, and then journaled on it and responded uh, to questions that we provided for you. So that's kind of what's happening. You've been in the weeds, uh, sort of in the depth of this chapter, uh, meditating on it and journaling on it and praying about it, and I've just been able to come in and offer some of the big picture. Thank you for everyone who did that, who's gone through it, for just being responsive and and giving it a go. I've heard so many encouraging reports from folks just saying, hey, this has really helped me be regular in my devotional life. I've learned things. I'm seeing things I've never seen before about the scripture itself. Um, To have a repeated daily meditation on the nature of Scripture, on the nature of God's Word, and how we learn about God from it has been uh, really powerful for uh, many of us in this process. So some have jumped in, and maybe for the first time, uh, or first time in a long time, uh, had a regular uh, reading plan, and and, uh, God's been working in our lives with that. Others have already been doing that sort of thing, but this has just uh, been a great focus together with others in the church. Uh, so it's a joy to, to serve in a church where folks are responsive to the word. Thank you for being responsive to the Bible and uh, for uh, taking that study. And like I said, if you've not done it, you can jump in now. There's no timetable on it. For those of you who've kind of been tracking at a time, this is the last sermon in this series. So you'll probably be finishing up this week sometime. So just stick with it and finish it on out. If you started late, take whatever time you need. Um, it's always there and, and uh, trust God will speak to you. Uh, from it. So uh, let's read verses 129 and 130. Psalm 119, verses 129 and 130. This is God's word. Your testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul keeps them. The unfolding of your words gives light, it imparts understanding to the simple. Let's pray and ask for God's help. Lord, thank you for your word. 
and we are simple people, and you promise here that your word imparts understanding to the simple. So we simply say, open our eyes, open our hearts, open our minds, and reveal yourself to us through these verses. Show us the Lord Jesus Christ, and Lord, speak to us, we pray, and give us hearts to respond in Jesus' name. Amen. Chuck Swindoll, in a book, uh, I can't remember which book it is, but uh, I read a story that he told in uh, one of his books that uh, I want to repeat to you now. He told the story of two men uh, who were at the edge of the Grand Canyon. They were looking at the world-famous Grand Canyon, and as the two of them stood on the edge of it and looked in, one man exclaimed, This is amazing. It is, it shows me the very hand of God. He was struck with awe. The other man next to him just leaned over the canyon and spit. And he said, wow, I've never spit a mile. And Swindoll writes, I suppose it's just how you look at things. The same sight Two people take in the exact same vista. They have the same vision. And one of them is appropriately struck with the majesty of the creator. And he responds amazed, not just at the vastness of the canyon, but at the vastness of the God who created the canyon. The other man misses entirely an opportunity to worship God. And he instead sort of squanders his awe. He wastes his wonder. He is amazed by the trivial, sort of taken aback by plunging saliva into the canyon. We are all created with a capacity to wonder. We're created with an ability to take in awe, that sort of surprising, um, at times fearful, amazing, astounding sense that captures our mind and our emotions, that sense of awe. We all have a sense of wonder. And some of us waste our wonder, waste our awe, uh, chasing the amazement of things that are relatively trivial on an eternal scale. Others of us uh, invest our awe in what really matters and what is really most glorious, and that is God. Two people can look at the same thing. One is awed by God. The other is relatively unaffected altogether. Do you know that two people can look at Scripture in the same way and come away with very different responses? The psalmist, in the the verses we just read, describes one of the purposes of the Scripture, one of the ways the Scripture is to land on our hearts when we're exposed to it. He says in verse 129, your testimonies, testimonies is a word for scripture. There's eight words in this psalm used to describe the revelation of God, the Bible, the scripture. Your testimonies, he says, are wonderful. God, when I read your word, your story is wonderful. The story, the testimonies, the story of you is wonderful. 
the story of your actions are breathtaking. When I encounter you in the word, I am filled with wonder. The word he uses is wonderful. Now, we use the word wonderful to mean really good or maybe even great. Uh, So we might say something like, you know, we had a wonderful dinner last night. That means it was really great. Uh, Or we might say, I took a a wonderful vacation. And so it's, it's a word that we use to mean something that is really good. But this word is a bit different. It's a greater word. It's a grander word. The root word Uh, In the original language, the root word here for wonderful is the word wonder. And in the Old Testament, that word is only used to describe divine things. Divine things. So when the word is used like that here, it doesn't mean really great, and it could describe a steak. It means something that is divine. It is applied to God and the works of God. And so he says, when I engage your word, I am filled with wonder. Why? Because engaging God's word is engaging God. And when we engage God, a most appropriate response is the response of divine wonder or amazed adoration for God. We are created with this capacity, and all of us eagerly desire by nature to experience wonder, to encounter God in this kind of way. That's why verse 18 in this psalm, way, way back, verse 18 in this psalm, the psalmist prays a prayer, and he says this, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Open my eyes that I may see things that fill me with wonder as I encounter your word. Have you ever thought, I've referred to that a couple times in this series, that that verse, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Have you ever wondered why that verse or a verse like that is in the Bible? Why would God give us a prayer, a request In this psalm, open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. I think because it addresses the very common experience of all of us that we can easily lose a sense of the sort of uh, surprising, glorious nature of Scripture. We can really lose the sense of reading the Bible and being captivated by something that is beautiful, something that is unfamiliar, see something of God's nature, something of God's works communicated to us with Scripture that is, uh, that is uh, amazing to us, that is transcendent, that we read the Bible and we see God in, in, his, in his immensity, in his, uh, in his divine power, in his glory, and it reveals a wonder to us. We can so easily just grow familiar with the Bible. We can just get almost inoculated to it, where we just hear it all the time, and we're so accustomed to it that we've heard that before. Oh, I know that. I've heard that. I get that. It's not really grabbing me like it used to. That's a very common experience. And so he prays, Lord, open my eyes that I may have a restored sense of wonder about you as I read your word. This can happen as we gather on Sundays as well. 
coming to gather and to read God's word, to hear God's word taught, uh, we, we can just sort of become very familiar and, and uh, just sort of be distant from the God who wants to engage us, engage our hearts in a very real way. I believe that people who come to gathered worship uh, desire wonder, desire awe. I think when God's people come together before him to worship him, there is this longing for something greater than everyday life. There is something in our hearts that wants to experience, wants, this is unique, when we gather with God's people, it's a unique moment in the week when we are at the beginning of the week. When we're gathering with God's people under his, under his word, we want to be touched by his word. We want to be affected by his word. I believe all of us want to gather with a sense of awe and wonder. And, and there's even a subtle pressure in the American evangelical church to sort of create that wonder, to sort of provide, to manufacture awe. And so we do that oftentimes by creating structures, facilities that are at times awe-inspiring. Or we do that through production, through lighting. Now, we have lighting in here. We're not opposed to lighting, um, you know, but, but, uh, but we do that with some kind of lighting that at times wows. Or we do that with some kind of effects in the room or on the stage. Or we do that with sort of over-the-top musical performances that emphasize the musical performance as chief so that we are wowed by the performance. Last Sunday, I believe it was Sunday evening, I was looking through my social media feed and I was on Instagram and one of the guys I follow, he, he had an Instagram story just which is, you know, like, like 15-second clips of his day. And so he had clips from the church he was at that morning. And it's not a church around here, but he was at a church that, and, and I don't know anything about that church. It may be a great church. All I know is like 15-second clips. So I'm not judging these people. Uh, but what I saw in the 15-second clips, I had never, I've been going to church a long time, and I never saw this. So they're, you know, they're, the band's on stage, they're playing, they're singing. All of a sudden, a guy on the stage starts like levitating up, flying. Now, this is not a spiritual experience like where the Holy Spirit's doing a miracle because I saw the wires, but they were faint. They were faint. But he, like, lifts up on stage. And th this isn't like Angel at the Christmas production. This is dude in jeans and a shirt, okay? This is a regular guy. And he, like, elevates up, and he's kind of moving, and he goes out in the center over the audience. Now, I'm just thinking, man, this is a lawsuit ready to happen. That guy's going to fall, and this was not. Does your insurance provider know about this? But anyway, he just goes out, and he's just sort of, I don't know if he's backstroking or air, air crowd surfing or what, but he's just kind of floating around the room. And it was so brief, I didn't get the context, I didn't get the purpose. I'm having trouble imagining what it would be. But anyway, he is out, like, floating. And I'm looking at this, and I've got two thoughts. I mean, I'm thinking, wow, that is really incredible. And I'm thinking, wow, Tim is really lame. Our worship leader never, he never like floats out and on top of everybody. We've never had an instrumentalist or a vocalist fly out over the congregation. I'm thinking, man, are we boring or what are at this church? But I just looked at it and thought, again, I didn't know the whole effect. But this was the worship service. This, again, this wasn't the, this wasn't the angel at the Christmas play. You can't manufacture wow. I mean, that was wow. 
But it's, it's not lasting. Well, it lasted a week because I got a sermon illustration out of it. But it's not really lasting. You can't manufacture the kind of wow that is being talked about here. It's not a human creation. Your testimonies fill me with wonder. Wonderful. Full of wonder. They fill me with wonder. You can't make that happen. You can't create that kind of thing. This, this is not Disney where you create the magic for everybody. There's a kind of magic in the soul that we're talking about here, a kind of amazement at God, a kind of, uh, a, a kind of profound vision and sight and perception of the greatness of the God that we worship that we can't just make happen. It is his gift and it is gift to us that is given to us through his word, he says here. We, we can lose the sense of wonder. We can grow familiar. We can grow tired. We can grow distance. When we open our Bible throughout the week to encounter God in our personal reading and our personal times alone with him, we can feel distant and uncaring and, and unfeeling towards his word. And that is an experience in life. You find we could look at another psalm. We could read another psalm where the psalmist is saying, where are you, God? So we all have dry periods and desert periods. I'm not talking about a season. I'm talking about a life where we have sort of moved away from wonder and awe and we are adrift. Listen, this does not happen in a week. It happens over time. And the drift begins to be unnoticeable. We sort of just take the word of God for granted. We're sort of familiar with it. And it's almost unnoticeable. But if we don't address it, one day we wake up having drifted way over here and go, how did I get here? I mean, there was a time when I was eager to read God's word and it felt alive to me. And then it was like less alive, and so I read it less, less frequently, and then it was like, I don't think I'm getting anything out of this, and I just kind of closed it up all week long. There was a time when I was eager to be there at church, because when I came and I heard, I couldn't wait to sing, I couldn't wait to hear the Bible, I was like leaning forward, if not physically, at least in my heart, I was leaning forward ready to hear I was taking it in. I was jotting notes. I was taking it out with me into my week and applying. It was fresh. It was alive. It was vibrant in my soul. But now, I, I mean, I make it when I can to church, you know. And then I'm not even sure. Did I get anything out of that? Was that even worth it? We drift. I recently heard a pastor tell a story. I was listening to a podcast. I was driving around. And uh, he was telling a story about how he uh, had gone from the pinnacle of success, um, I put that in quotes, success, how he had gone from the pinnacle of success to getting fired uh, by his elders because he was disqualified because of sin in his life, uh, unrepentant sin um, that would be scandalous. So he went from the pinnacle of success. He described planting this church And he started this church, and it took off. The Lord is gracious. People were coming to Christ. People were meeting the Lord, and it just, it uh, it blew up. It got huge, so big that they started starting new churches. So what started as one church becomes another church, and another church, and another church. They're they're starting other churches. They're starting campuses of their church as well. This guy starts writing books 
because look at all that's going on here. And I've read a couple of his books. And so he's telling about, you know, I started writing books. Uh, he said, I got on the kind of conference speaking circuit. So they're having these great things happening. He's writing books. He's out speaking about it. So he talks about how they started from a very, very small little group. I think just his wife and him, if I recall, how it started at this very small group. And then it blew in, blew up into kind of a movement of multiple churches, multiple campuses, books, leaders being raised up and sent out, speaking engagements where he's telling the story, and then he ends up crashing and burning. And he, he said that there was an, a subtle internal shift that somewhere along the way happened in his heart. And this is what he said. When he said it, I stopped. I replayed it. I heard it again. I pulled into my office, I got in my office, I wrote this down. This was his sentence. He said, the Bible, which had been my treasure, became a tool for ministry. The Bible, which had been my treasure, because in the Bible, I encountered God Almighty. I used to love to dig and see new things about God, experience God, know God, apply this truth to my life. It used to be a treasure of great value to me, but at some point it just became functional. It moved from something glorious, dazzling, something that I would seek after, Seek after God through his word. It moved from something glorious to something serviceable. Something helpful. You see the difference here. Now you may not be like him where you were saying, hey, it's a tool for ministry. But does the scripture just become a tool kind of for your life? Let me get some good kind of wisdom. There's something functional. Need some some wisdom, need something over here. So it, it moves from being something where you find God and there's a grandeur and a glory and a longing to know God. It moves from the means of encountering God to just like something that is helpful for life when I can do it. Something that's just a disciplined, something just to check off my life, uh, check off my schedule. Kind of like working out if you exercise, like, okay, hey, you know, I work out a few times a week, check that off the schedule, read the Bible some, check that off. It's helpful, makes me healthy, makes me... As opposed to, no, no, this is something where he says, your testimony is your word. It fills me with wonder. This isn't just a checklist. This isn't just a duty. This isn't just a tool to get a job done. This is my life. Jesus says, when tempted by Satan, Jesus says to him, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word which proceeds from the mouth of God, indicating that this is my nourishment, my sustenance. This is life to me. God is my life, and he reveals himself through his scripture to me. Your testimonies are wonderful. So when I ask us, how, how, how is your wonder these days? In your relationship with God, do you find yourself moving towards greater awe? Or do you find yourself somehow finding the awe that you had being diminished? Do you recognize the temptation to diminishing wonder? It'll be different for each of us. There's not like one temptation. But we all can tend to drift. So what are the points that sort of, sort of disconnect you so that you freely drift along away? Do you know those? 
Are you aware, hey, yeah, when this pattern, there can be a pattern in my life or there can be circumstances in my life that I find myself sort of drifting from the Lord and from engaging his word. Do you know what those are? Let me ask you this. Are you more amazed by Christ today than you were this time last year? Now, to be clear, I'm not trying to oversell something that's not real this side of heaven. If you could track your spiritual development on a, on a graph, there's no one who is converted and then lives 30 years and then dies and is with the Lord, and their graph is just straight up. There's no, no, the people in the Bible aren't that way, okay? Paul's writing the Bible and talk, describes a situation where he's despairing of life itself. There's psalmist saying, where are you, oh God? Peter denies the Lord, okay? So nobody goes like this. But the trajectory of intimacy with Christ, growth in the Lord, knowledge of the Lord, love for the Savior, wonder and amazement at what he's done, it should go up over time. It, we may go up and we may go way down in a valley. And then we work up and then a slight this and then like this. And so it may move like the stock market. But over time, the trajectory is to be greater awe, not diminished awe as a lifestyle. Are you by grace encountering God in his word? Or is your devotional time sort of moving from treasure to, as the pastor said, tool? Tools are very unimpressive. Is it, I'm encountering God, or is it just getting through a job? Now, I'm sharing this intentionally at a season where a, a number of folks in the church are on a roll. Okay, I, didn't, I was going to start the series with this message, creating a vision for wonder, but hopefully this is better for those of you, and, and I'm, in, I'm with you, who over the last three weeks have had a regular time of study going through the journal that we're going through together as a church. So maybe you're on a roll. If you are, ask God to continue this, and maybe you're not feeling the sense of drift. That's great, but receive the warning that the very reason we have to have this verse in the Bible, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law, is because sometimes it's like our eyes are closed and we don't see. So if you're in a good season, great, ride the wave. May God continue, keep in the, keep it up. May God continue, put yourself before the Lord daily and keep praying that prayer. Open my eyes, Lord, show me wonderful things in your word. Reveal yourself to me on and on. A few years ago, a worship album came out and I don't even know the songs on the worship album, but I, I just remember the title. The title was this, Wake Up the Wonder. I love that. Wake up the wonder. God, would you open my eyes to see wonderful things? Lord, your testimonies are wonderful. So would you fill me with the wonder that you desire to give me of yourself through your word? Would you show me what you are like? May your word be wonderful to us when we read it, when we hear it, when we hear it taught, when we write it, when we meditate on it, when we recite it. When we memorize it, when we journal it, however, not just silent reading, but all of these kinds of ways to engage the Bible in multi-sensory ways, in ways throughout our day like I just described there. May you, God, reveal yourself to us and fill us with wonder. Would you spark like a wonder in our soul, Lord? 
Would you reveal your love to us in Christ so that we face our day secure? If God is for us, who can be against us? Romans 8, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Lord, would you show me that so that I don't give in to fear and worry and anxiety today, but I'm secure because I am loved by you and nothing, my sins or someone else's sins, can ever separate me from your love. God, as I read your word today, would you reveal, would you fill me with wonder concerning your power? concerning your faithfulness. So as I look forward in my life, I'm confident. I'm confident in you. I'm confident in your character. I'm confident in the storyline of the scripture where you have always been faithful to your people. Would you show me that? This is where we're confident. This is how we persevere. This is how we fear. This is how we live our lives, not gripped and overwhelmed ultimately by the fears and anxieties that we all know and come to us. Lord, would you reveal your righteousness to me that I fear you because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I want to be wise. Would you show me your holiness so that I have a right perspective on the universe, on you, on my life? Would you reveal your sovereignty that you are in control over everything so that as I live my life, I am at rest in my soul? There's nothing that can produce the sort of spiritual rest in our soul than to know I'm not in control. I can't be in control. But the good God of the universe is in control. That brings a rest to our souls. God, would you amaze me with your character? Would you dazzle me with your power as I consider the resurrected Jesus Christ who bore my sins and rose to defeat sin, to defeat the enemy, to defeat death so that I'm not fearing evil, I'm not fearing death, I'm not fearing the power of sin to overwhelm me, but I'm confident that Jesus is alive and that makes all the difference Dazzle me with that truth, Lord. Open my eyes to that reality that you've poured out your spirit, that you live within me, that you're empowering me. What you call me to do, you empower me to do. That you enable me, you you strengthen me to keep your word. Lord, blow us away with your holiness. Take our breath away when we read your word and consider your love and mercy. Do we know anything about this, that these kind of experiences, when we read the Bible, that there is something real happening and engaging our hearts and our minds that affects us for our lives? Do we know anything about being right-sized by the Word of God, that we can come to the Scripture with all kinds of perceptions about how great our problems are? And we need to be right-sized to see God is far greater Sometimes we feel all the pressure to control and make everything happen. And we need to be right-sized saying, I can't even control the next beat of my heart. If I'm going to live and make it through this sermon, it'll only be by the mercy of God. I'm dependent upon him and he is a good and a faithful God. Am I living a right-sized life or do I I perceive myself as some omnicompetent being responsible to do, empowered to do all? I I am a creature. He is the creator. And it is helpful to live with that in mind. 
Am I aware of his greatness? Am I aware of his small, my smallness? Am I aware of his love for me? When I sin, am I aware that he calls me home with open arms to embrace and to forgive and to say, you are not condemned, now go and sin no more. And he strengthens me to walk that out. Do I live with that? All of that comes from being filled with wonder from the scripture by being informed and taught and transformed by the scripture. Now, the scripture describes a certain kind of wonder here. Look at this. Uh, Your testimonies are wonderful. That's what I've been talking about. Therefore, my soul keeps them. The soul is our inner part, who we are, our interior. And he says that when when I'm filled with wonder at you, it leads to a response. The psalmist doesn't have a skin-deep rule-keeping. That's not Christianity for him, just a skin-deep rule-keeping. Rather, the keeping of God's word springs in his life from delight in God, wonder in God, awe of God, amazement by God through the word of God. Oftentimes, we just view the Christian life as behavior modification, just changing. Stop doing this and start doing that. Grit your teeth and no longer do this and no longer do that. There is nothing Christian about that philosophy. Anybody can have that philosophy. You don't need a resurrected Christ. Jesus didn't need to come and die for stop doing this and start doing that. We don't need God becoming a man, taking our sins upon the cross, dying, being resurrected, ascending to the right hand of God, and then pouring out the Spirit. We don't need, you know, we don't need if that's it. But but it's it's different than that. It's engaging with God. It's not just stop doing this and start doing that, but it's it's having a new view of Christ. A new understanding of the power of his death and his resurrection and his rule over all things and in in experiencing his power to change us. He wants to transform us from the inside and he renews our mind through his scripture. The way he renews our mind, renews our desires, renews our hearts is by encountering him through the scripture. So the psalmist says, I encounter you through the word, I'm filled with wonder, and then there's a response of obedience. Something's happening there. He didn't just pick up all the rules. He picked up God Almighty, encountered God who empowered him to live out the life that God calls us to live. We spend a lot of time trying to change ourselves and yet keep a very puny view of God oftentimes. Oftentimes, we think the Christian life is about changing myself and all the stuff i got to do, and we miss out on getting a vision of the power, the greatness of God. We're often working and, and, and stressing how. What do I need to do? What's next? How do I change? How am I uh, to be different? We're often working on the how when we should be working on the wow. We should be working on wonder, encountering God, beholding the nature of God, which then by his grace, as we understand, he transforms us and changes us. The psalmist says, your testimonies fill me with wonder, therefore my soul keeps them. Obedience is the fruit of cultivating a Christ-centered wow. And when I'm not wowed, obviously I'm called to do the right thing. I'm not just saying, well, I didn't have a big vision of Jesus, so I just sinned. That's what you said. No, that's not, no I'm not just saying that, uh, that. I'm saying that we want to cultivate that sense of a vision of Christ and understanding of him in the scripture and what he's done for us. And, and to me, with a, a, union, a, a communion with Christ, we're in union with him. We're going to have a communion with him by the spirit through the word. 
so that we're being, our hearts, our desires are being changed. Our motives are being transformed. Our heart is different over time as he changes us. And that all comes from encountering God through his word. Now, it's worth asking, how does this happen? How does God give us a sense of wonder? Look at verse 130. So your testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul keeps them. Verse 130, the unfolding of your word gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. So he's saying, here's the process. Your word is unfolded, okay? Your word is unfolded, and as it's unfolded, in my darkness, in my, he says the simple, in my limited understanding, uh, I am given light. So I see something I hadn't seen before. You know the phrase, it dawned on me. Well, where does that come from? The light came. Okay, it dawned on me. The light comes to my mind. I see something of you in your word. And what does he say? It imparts understanding. The unfolding of your word gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. Now I'm going to show you um, an illustration of hopefully how this works. And uh, maybe you'll remember it a little bit better. Uh, And I'm going to show you something that if you are younger in the room, you will never have seen this in your life. And so this is, I'm really excited about this because I love to see people see stuff for the first time. So if you are under, I'm not going to call on you. I don't need a volunteer from the audience. But if you are under 30, let's just see where you are. 30 or under, raise your hand. 30 or under. Okay. Wow, that's a lot. That, there was a lot in the first service. That's the most encouraging thing next to the scripture in the first service that everybody in the room wasn't old like me and Bob, right? Bob, there was young people that were not just like us, like me, Bob says. Uh, we need to pull our birth certificates out, Bob, on that one. You're going to call me old. But uh, anyway, uh, so, uh, so if you're under 30, you, I'm going to show you something. You have heard of this. You've heard that your grandparents may have told you about it at holiday times. I mentioned really tell stories about growing up, or your parents may have uh, told you about this. But this is something from an ancient era that I just want to show you because it's going to make a point. So here's what it is. Can anybody down front, can you see what these are young people? They won't know. Does anybody know what this is? Kendall, you know what this is? You know, what is it? It's a map. Okay, some of you have heard of this if you're under 30. But this is what... We used to use, before GPS, when we needed to know how to get somewhere, this is what we used to use when we traveled on horses. And so this is, this is how it works. So uh, the trick is not unfolding. That's the, 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 as the word of God is unfolded, that's the illustration. The trick is not unfolding. The trick is folding it back up. If you've ever unfolded one of these, it takes a graduate, a graduate degree in engineering to fold one back up. So if you're an engineer, I'll leave this on the stage. You can fold it back up for me at the end. Uh, so this is a map, and uh, this is how it works. So you open it up. I'm, I'm unfolding it here, obviously, and this is a map of Texas because this shows you all the known universe that matters, okay? So this is who would ever need to leave the great state of Texas. So we open up the map, and uh, this is sort of what it looks like. It's got all these roads. We used, this is how we used to travel, seriously, on vacations and stuff. So this is the DFW area right here. Just take my word for it. And Frisco is up here north. So here's where we are right here. So I find all of a sudden I've got perspective of a whole state. You young people... With your phones, you can see like two blocks on your Waze or your Google map. And if you go like that and, you know, zoom out, then everything's, you can't see it's too small. But this, so this is the way it used to be. You could see everything, the whole state. I got a perspective here overall. I see where I am. If I want to go somewhere else, if I want to go over to Abilene, I see how to get over there, the pathway to do that. 
And uh, this is how it was in my generation. This is how you traveled. And in your generation, there's a lot of warnings about do not text and drive. And I endorse that. That is good not to text and drive. But everybody acts like, wow, this is a new problem. This is how I used to take vacation with the families. For sure, my dad did. You get the map. We need to go here to here. You hold it up like this. And this is how you drive. You are literally, you are literally driving like this. Texting and driving, like you've got a new danger in your, in your generation. Man, we had danger way beyond you. I could go from here to Houston and never see the road back in my day. So that's what it was like. Okay, so here's, here's how it works. You find it opens up and it gives you perspective. It shows you the big picture. It shows you where you are. And if you're traveling to another location, it shows you very clearly to get there. As you unfold the map, uh, it will give you a very clear picture of where you are and where you want to go. And in many ways, that's a picture of what the scripture does. He says here, the unfolding of your words, plural, gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. As the word of God is opened up to us, it gives us a big perspective of reality. We're living right here so often, just seeing what's right in front of us. But the scripture shows us God. The scripture shows us the character of God. The scripture shows us the work of God. The scripture shows us the plan of God. And when the word is unfolded to us, we see that life is so much bigger than us, that there's a God who is running the universe, that there is a God who is working a plan, that there is a God who is writing a story from the garden until the city, the great city, and the new heavens and the new earth. It is one long storyline. And once you believe in Jesus, you Your story is attached to his story. So the unfolding of the word gives perspective. Where are we going? How do I go there? It shows us how big God is and how minuscule we are. And yet at the same time, how much our lives count and how much they matter because we are connected to him. His word shows us what path he is on, what he is accomplishing, that, the, that he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's the storyline of the Bible, that he is rescuing a people for himself. And we all are a part of that. And if we live apart from the scripture, we will forget that before I finish the next sentence. You will forget that and you will live in your own little world and your own little situation. And I live in my own little problems and I can't see past what's right in front of me. But the unfolding of the word shows me a great God with a great plan and a loving Savior that makes this plan certain. And a Holy Spirit who leads and guides and directs us and builds us together in community that we might be a light to the nations This is the plan of God moving forward, that he is pushing back darkness, that he is reconciling all things to himself, that he is bringing to life the dead, dead places and dead people that will one day all be restored in new heavens and new earth. But you will never get that revelation. You will never live in the good of the character of God and the storyline of the Bible if the word does not unfold and show you a bigger perspective where you are, where you're going, and how to get there by the grace of God. The Word of God gives understanding to simple people. And that is such good news. This is not the same word simple that is, speaks of the fool in Proverbs. This means someone that just doesn't know the future, someone that's limited by understanding. That's everybody in the room. We are all simple 
But there's an answer to our simple minds. It's the word of God, which shows us the way to go. That's why in Psalm 105, I'm sorry, 119 verse 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The simple can get light in our darkness. The simple cannot bumble around and bump into things. The simple can see the way and not only see the way, but God is with us along the way because the unfolding of your word gives light. It imparts wisdom to the simple and we need light. We need light to break into our darkness. We need light to cut through our pain, light that cuts through confusion, light that cuts through guilt and condemnation and points us to Jesus who has forgiven us and freed us, points us to the Father who has adopted us as his own children, points us to the God who says the church is his treasured possession. We need that kind of light in the darkness. We need to be those who get understanding, as it says here. We need fresh hope. We need the clouds to clear so that we see So we see clearly, and when the clouds don't clear, we need to know that God is with us in the midst of confusion and that he is using it for our good, ultimately. Listen, we live in a culture that is drowning in information, that is overwhelmed by entertainment, and what we need is a clear vision of the resurrected Jesus sitting on his throne with everything under his command, bringing his purposes to pass for certain. That's what we need. And we will never get it if we don't expose ourselves to the unfolding of your words which give light. It imparts understanding to the simple. Do you want to wake up the wonder in your life? Well, that's verse 129. Your testimonies are wonderful. If you want to wake up the wonder, you must unfold the word. That's verse 130. The unfolding of your word gives light. To wake up the wonder, you must unfold the word. A couple of applications and we're out of here. To wake up the wonder, we must unfold the word personally personally. Now, we've been talking about this for multiple weeks, and so let me just encourage you, if you've been doing the study, stick with it, finish it out. Uh, if you haven't, grab a book and start it. But let me, let me just remind you of this. Many, a number of folks have said, hey, this has been super helpful for me. I said that earlier. A number of you have been saying that, which is so encouraging. But can I say that, let me share the recipe of how that was put together. It is super simple. You can try this at home. These, all we did was provide four, all we did was provide a section to read. Some awesome graphics by Fred. Okay, I get that. But just a section to read and then four questions. We don't own these questions. They're not copyrighted. You can use them daily. We just said, read some verses and ask, what does this passage teach me to think about God and or his word? Number two, What does this passage move me to feel about God and his word? Because we want to cultivate affections for God. Number three, how, uh, how, I don't remember exactly how we phrased it, but generally it's something like, how, uh, what does this passage call me to do? How will I apply this passage, application? How will I apply this in my life today? And number four, how will I pray about what I've learned in this passage Those four things. You can actually take a piece of paper or your computer, write down those four questions, block out how much you're going to read each day. If you don't know what to do, go back to Psalm 1 and do this through the Psalms. Write your four questions down uh, and read Psalm 1 and do that. Then the next day, read Psalm 2 
and do that. You can do this at, at home with no training or special skills. Many of us, the reason that God's been meeting us is because we've just made ourselves available to him with a simple process. And we've prayed, Lord, open my eyes to see you. That's it. And you can continue on. And I want to continue to encourage you to continue on because I believe God's will for you is that the trajectory of your life be towards increased amazement and wonder and awe at God, not less. And that will never happen unless you unfold the word and he unfolds it to you. Number two, wake up the wonder by unfolding God's word in community. So we do this together. So we gather on Sunday, we hear God's word. So be here, be prepared, be eager to hear from God as we gather. And we do that in small group as well. Be present and be ready to engage the scripture and to learn from others' experiences as they say, hey, this is how God's speaking to me. Or as they say, I don't sense God's nearness at all. I'm really struggling. We help one another that way. Um, and you, you will benefit by sharing and communicating what God's doing in your life. So as you read scripture and you chew on it, meditate on it, apply it, <clears throat> and then you communicate to others what you're learning, it's cemented. The lesson is cemented in your heart in a fresh way. So we wake up the wonder by unfolding God's word personally. We wake up the wonder by unfolding God's word in community with others. And sometimes when we're dry and someone else is living with wonder and amazement at God and they've got a powerful testimony to share, it stirs us up. God wants you like the, like the coals on a, um, you know, like the briquettes uh, that you put together to make a fire to barbecue uh, like you take, you, you want to be connected to one another so that the heat transfers from one to another. We benefit like charcoal in a grill, touching one another, connected to one another. Lastly, wake up the wonder by unfolding God's word in scattered worship. 99% of our lives, when I say scattered worship, we gather to worship here, but we use that language because it means that when you leave here in a few minutes, worship didn't end. You're always worshiping. <clears throat> That's our scattered worship. What does that mean? It just means that you live, we're to live all life for the glory of God, that the gospel connects to all of our lives, whether we're at home <clears throat> with the family, whether we're at the workplace, uh, whether we are in the neighborhood, whether we're coaching soccer, uh, whether we're giving ourselves to one of our hobbies, whether we're serving, uh, volunteering in some capacity, whatever it is. And so we scatter for worship. I, I'm not going to talk specifically about how to apply wonder in all of life, but I do want to make one point that I think will make us winsome and will allow us to communicate the gospel to our culture in a powerful way. This psalm, in, this section begins with wonder. Your testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul keeps them. But did you know that this stanza starts with wonder, but it ends with tears? Verse 136, my eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. Wonder in a fallen world doesn't mean that we're just bouncing through life going, ah, wow. It also means that we're living in a broken world among fallen people and that that brings us to tears. When we begin to wonder at the majesty of God, we will begin to grieve that everyone else does not recognize this glorious God. We will begin to recognize that grace has come to us, that we're just as sinful as the next person, that I'm just as sinful as the person who holds a political view 
different than mine. I'm just as sinful as the person who holds a religion different than mine. I'm just as sinful as the person whose lifestyle is different than mine. I didn't need any less of a savior than he or she does. What, what differentiates us? My superiority? No, the grace of God. And so the fact I can look in the word and have any wonder at all, the fact that I care, the fact that this means anything to us, is the mercy and the grace of God. And when we see others without that, a natural response from the person who's captivated by awe is tears. We shed tears because others do not know him as we know him. Now, we can do more than that, obviously, that those that were to be motivated to then love them and care for them and speak the good news of the gospel to them and introduce them to the Savior. So we, we do more than that, but it starts with that attitude, and that's my concern for myself and for us and for evangel- evangelicals in this country right now, is that when you wonder at the grace of God, there will be a lot, more fin- a lot less finger-wagging and a lot more tears. There will be a lot less looking down on other people And there will be a lot more getting low ourselves before God interceding for those who need Jesus Christ. I don't know anybody who's come to Christ because the self-righteous wagged their finger and scolded them. But I know scores of people that have come to Christ because someone had a wonder at the grace of God, the power of Christ, the love of a Savior. And they saw another life and they were broken that that person walked in the darkness and they wept for them and they prayed for them and they came alongside them and said hi and they expressed love and care to them and devotion for them. They were present with them. They told them good news that showed up in their life that it really sounded like good news. It didn't sound like self-righteous judgment. It sounded like good news to them because they're coming alongside and saying, I'm a sinner too, and explaining what repentance is to turn from sin and turn to the Savior who gives us new life in Jesus. The more we wonder, the more we are in awe, the more God's word unfolds to us, the more verse 129 and 130 are our reality, I'm convinced the more we'll live at verse 136. My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. I believe that's how our culture is going to be changed. I believe that's how our, our block, our school, our neighborhood, our city, our nation, our world is going to be changed not by the self-righteous, but by those, not by those who are puffed up in themselves, their ideology, their point of view, their being right, but those who are low and are overwhelmed by the grandeur of God. It's not big people, big evangelicals, big church. It's small, sinful, broken people and big God and loving Savior that brings newness to the world. We need our perspective adjusted. We need it to inform our hearts and we need it to inform our lives. One day God will come and make all things new. Talk about wake up the wonder. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. I don't care who the person is. I don't care what their political position is. I don't care what their religion is. Every knee will bow. Everyone will confess that Jesus Christ alone is God, the Bible says. But until that day, let's pray that God would wake up the wonder as he unfolds his word to teach us and empower us to live out our callings in his story as he builds his church and the gates of hell will not stand against it, as he restores the world to himself through the gospel. It is a wonder to know him. 
and it is a wonder to be a part of his mission. And we leave here both enamored with the glory of God and broken for those who have yet to taste that glory. Let's pray. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org.